Hey everyone, David here. I want to tell you about my music podcast, On Rotation. It's engaging, interactive, and insightful. Music mm-hmm. entwines with everything. It's something that always rings true to me. So when I need something to kind of root me, I can always go back to music in a sense, you know? Yeah. Join me each episode as we rotate through a number of topics and hear why it's the podcast that's always on replay and never on repeat. Listen to On Rotation wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you can learn something new and expand what you already know and change your perspective on something, especially in music, that's the biggest piece of momentum anyone can have. I think that's a big thing that artists need to do. They just be honest with what they're going through, saying, you know what, I could write a song about this. It's definitely something that's helped me find my way to myself. It's been really nice to be able to like connect with people and get this immediate feedback reaction. Life is busy, but there's always time for music. Breathe into me the air that I lost. Oh. Hey, everybody, what's up? What's happening? You're listening to On Rotation, the podcast that's always on replay and never on repeat. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is David. I'll be your host and lovely guide. What Love Truly Means is one of the tracks from the debut EP by Late Night Thoughts. The duo is made up of college besties Michael and Brian who live together in New York City. Let's hear how they come together and aim to create their signature acoustic sound. Late Night Thoughts, Brian and Michael Harlow. We gotta mention Harlow because you were just saying to me that you answered to both, right Mike? Yes, although I prefer not Mike. You prefer not Mike, my bad. I already messed up and we're off to a bad start. (laughs) But anyway, you guys are late night thoughts and you're obviously a duo, the two of you working together. And from listening to your music, I really want to know how would you personally describe your sound and what artists influence it? It's a really great question. Loaded question. (laughs) So right now we're kind of like in a transition from being like in in our first, you know, EP, we were very like acoustic bass like it was just guitar and two vocals. dudes and a guitar yeah and yeah. that was a sound that was kind of came out of like the ease of like it just being us and we went into the studio and didn't have a lot of experience so we weren't we weren't thinking about anything that we weren't doing yeah. in the writing of the song so we weren't thinking about drums and bass and piano <laughs> and a horn section or you know none of that was coming to mind and then our second ep we started bringing that stuff like really strong and we loved it like it, it just brought a new energy to it and we like we loved performing with like more instruments behind us it just gives it a different kind of energy gives it a life yeah so now now we're trying to incorporate all of that um, into our songwriting yeah keeping the acoustic roots while you know expanding the sound into a pop a folk pop arena Kind of like embracing the bigness of um, of some of that music. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, I've been using the sentence, <laughs> it's like Mumford and Sons, but take out the banjos and the mandolins and add a little emo soft boy. Gotcha. Would you say, like, to clarify, your sound has kind of become a little bit more orchestrated? Like, you started off more, like, acoustic, you said, Brian, and then you've started to include more sounds into it. So it sounds like you've kind of progressed in that sense. Absolutely. We're very excited about our evolution as artists and it's something we think about from time to time because we want to be doing this the rest of our lives. And with that in mind, we want to continue to evolve over all that time. So it's it's fun to be kind of taking this first bigger step of evolution. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. And I'm curious too, because this was mentioned on your Spotify bio specifically, it says that Michael, you are the music and harmony 
and Brian is the lyrics and melody. So what does that mean and how does it come together for y'all? So we, we, we don't like to start a song the same way every time just because I, I heard this, like, I think it was Alicia Keys. She said, like, if you start a song the same way every time, if you start writing it the same way every time, it's going to come out, like, in same a similar way. way. It's going to mm -hmm. come out the same. So we've, we've started songs with just a drum beat. We've started songs with just melody. We've started songs with just lyrics. And there's so many different avenues to like shoot down and it's just it's whatever like comes naturally i'd say like our strengths the reason that we work so well as a duo is this kind of symbiosis of i have a really strong instrumental background growing up and, and strong kind of ear for harmony and kind of framing something um in that way and brian is an incredible lyricist and has that ear for like pop melodies that are interesting enough to not be like basic and boring by the second time around, but still like very accessible in there, you know, in the pieces of them that have simplicity. Uh, and when we start writing, it'll come from one place and it's kind of like springboards back and forth. It rarely happens that like the entire song is presented by one of us to the other. And then the other person is like, sick, that's great. It's more like, Here's a guitar part, Brian. Do you have a melody for this or lyrics that <laughs> represent this feeling that you're feeling? Or yeah. you know, I'm going to walk in with a chorus and be like, what are the chords? I know how it goes, but what are the chords? Yeah, it's like completing each other's thoughts. Yeah. 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 And I'm glad, I'm glad, Michael, that you mentioned that symbiotic relationship because that's also something that I think was marketed in your bio. So I think that's a really cool way to approach working as a duo, especially. Like you said, bouncing things off of each other and filling in the gaps where you can. I would definitely would not be writing the same songs without the other half. Yeah, same. By a long shot. Oh, I sense a lot of love between you guys. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. And um, I want to know about the time you guys first met. I think it was something about a class that you had together. Yeah, we, we took this class. Protest through song. Yeah, and it was with an amazing professor. Her name is Paula Musigates. Paula Musigates. She's she, the best. She, is, she was such a big influence on us because, you know, we got into college and neither of us were really thinking that we were going to be musicians or artists even. And I, I think it was for many reasons that class that, that influenced us to keep going this direction because we were learning about the effect that music has on society. And I, I always saw it as kind of like a hobby, you know, something fun to do and something that was like cathartic to do like just just for my own self therapizing yeah exactly but yeah. never really thought about how it can help other people and that class the, the protest music class was all about you know the, the ways in which it affects society and and advances it. yeah and how mm -hmm. it can reflect the times and you know push a movement forward so it was kind of a, a magical experience, and and the the final project for the class was yeah. write a song if you want. It was like a lot of things. It was like you could write a protest song, you could create a presentation about it, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so Brian took on that that songwriting, and actually that song is it, another iteration of that song <laughs> is the song Help that was on our second EP, which is That's about right. feeling lonely and and the fact that everyone feels lonely sometimes and. It's okay to be to be asking for help. Well, yeah. I'm curious now because Brian, you mentioned it. Did you guys not go to college with the intention of studying music? Were you studying something else? Neither of us are music majors. <laughs> I was a politics major mostly because it was like at, at the time that we that we entered college, uh, it was like right before the 2016 election, and tensions okay. were pretty high. And I was interested in current events, but also it was kind of just like the easiest one to finish at some point. That's like after that class, which was our second semester of freshman year, I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. And didn't really care about anything else. So I came from a similar angle. I actually thought about going to conservatory as a drummer, which was my main instrument. And then decided, nah, I don't want to become a musician. I'm going to go to college, do something else. Here I am. Uh, <laughs> Here you are. <laughs> And that class was so awesome, and I actually just loved Professor Musigates um, as an educator and as, as a kind of muse, huh, Musigates. We both took four more of her classes. <laughs> yeah, I took every single class she offered, oh, except boy. for um, some deep music history from the Baroque era that I just didn't want to learn about. Um, 
and taking all those classes, I needed a few more to get my American Studies major. So mm-hmm. it was really, and then Musa Gates became my advisor, um, my like major advisor, which was really awesome. That was yeah. that. But yeah, we we knew we wanted to do this probably like mid sophomore year. Yeah, mm-hmm. we started a band actually with not late night thoughts. It was called Odd Bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the real <laughs> fans will know. Uh, Odd Bodies <laughs> with with Ben Astrakhan and Ben Corman. There's plenty of Ben's at Brandeis, but those two are great. Um, and then uh, priorities were different for all of us, and we wanted to kind of go in really deep music, and, and so we ended up just being the two of us. But when we decided to form Late Night Thoughts, it was like, okay, let's let's do this. Mm-hmm. Like, let's take it more seriously. Yeah, let's go hard, yeah. yeah. Where did you get the name for Late Night Thoughts, by the way? We were just, like, going back in chats, like, trying to find the origin and it was just, it was like the whole summer we were apart and we were like throwing names at each other. And it really just came out of like the the fact that a lot of the ideas, like the, for the themes of our songs came, you know, late at night when we were just hanging out in our dorm rooms. It was like end of the day, just the two of us yeah, sitting and with I, the guitar. I, I think a lot of like our most honest, honest thoughts happen when we are so tired that like our brains kind of go into this like almost dreamland but not no filter. quite there and yeah you you start to really analyze what matters to you so that's that's where it comes from i like that analogy a lot you know like analyzing or thinking of what really matters you know when those thoughts are late obviously pun intended <laughs> when those thoughts are late and you just have nothing else really to focus on it's just you and those yeah. thoughts we put a lot of intention into our lyrical content um that you know we want to always be saying something like never waste a word mm-hmm. and i think that that kind of aligns with that like there you know some musicians will use the lyrics and the melody as like an avenue to get the whole kind of package of the song across but i think we kind of balance packaging the lyrics and delivering the song kind of in that way and i noticed from looking you guys up to your catalog of work you have two eps out one of them your first one was moonlit memories and that came out in 2018 i assume while you guys were still at school and then your last ep worth it came out 2019 and it seems like you got a lot of praise from moonlit memories and i was curious to know what the reception was like from that first ep and how you were able to ride that success and keep other projects coming we released shit happens in was like february yeah, February, January, January, January of late January, and we, is you know the the story starts a little earlier. We were the only band on campus essentially, so Brandeis not a big school, but big enough that like, like thirty five hundred. Oh, there's like mm-hmm. the people who are performing at the you know the the bar on campus, their you know diner, whatever you can call it, the Stein if you know. <laughs> But um, <clears throat> playing there, playing like the one coffee house venue on campus and building up a lot of buzz about us. And then when we were about to release Shit Happens, like we felt this kind of like tingling amongst all of our social networks and whatever. And and we released it and it popped off. It did really well. And the love that we got back from our community after we released it, I think was really affirming for both of us that like we can create music and it can help other people and it can be nice for other people and it can be sustaining for us. So after that, I mean, and then the rest of the EP, and, and like you said, it was it was well received. Uh, I think we, I think our initial kind of community support helped lead to a lot of what I'd call algorithmic success. Mm. Uh, in that, like, people are finding late night thoughts on their Discover Weekly and on their re- you know release radar and daily mixes, and that that helps a ton. Like you know, we have to believe that the music we're putting out is good music. Otherwise, why bother? But good music doesn't always get heard by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. we're just in this age of like anyone can put out a song so to have that success from the first project kind of feels like a big open door yeah that, that we can keep walking through and walking into and it seems like you've opened a couple of doors because from one of your singles postcard park was mentioned in a publication called ear to the ground and the writer had said that the song I have the statement here. He said, it's got this ethos to it that you don't hear too often with a lot of new releases. He said, the lead vocal has just the right amount of subtlety combined with precision pronunciation. 
The balance is a sound that pulls the listener in to hear what's next, all while feeling soothed into relaxation. So yeah. what what was that? Like, how did you guys feel seeing something like that? Awesome. I mean, it, yeah. it's, uh, you know, to get, to get praise like that, it, it always feels great. But I, I would say what makes me feel even better is when someone just random finds us on Spotify and messages us saying, you know, I've been going through a really tough time and this this song helped me get through it. That to me is is like the ultimate like thanks that I can get, that we can get. A funny note though about Postcard Park is when we were kind of discovering its sonic identity and working on it, one session we kind of just went off the deep end for fun to see what it would become. We put in like trap beats. Like really crap <laughs> yeah. like, percussion and, and drums with that, with that, with like the rest of the song as you hear it. Mm-hmm. And we we said that we came up with a, a new genre called trap yoga. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's cool. And then we decided that we we absolutely don't want to release it like that. But the um, kind of what the what that writer was saying about kind of that that soothing calm that comes with it actually aligns with that like kind of yogi sound. You got it. Doug. <laughs> um, and we've kind of mentioned it too about your background at Brandeis and being in college. How important was it for you guys to include your college experience in your music? Because I think that was something else I noticed. It was really important to us. I mean, like, at the at the end of college, I would say that we were very focused on, you know, saying goodbye to our friends and thinking about how it, it had brought us together and all the other things that, all the other great things that happened for us there. And we wanted a way to say thank you to all those people and to the, the place and for the experiences. So it, it felt really good to be able to put something out at the end and just tag tag the end there. Like yeah. <laughs> it felt like the end of the song, you know? I used to say yeah. when I was graduating, it was like my swan song. Yeah, yeah. And the, the title of our, our second EP, Worth It, which we put out like... We had a release party for Worth It, it during our senior week before graduation. Yeah, like that's, that's when cool. it definitely came out. And the, the meaning of, of the words Worth It were both like about our four years at Brandeis and the journey we had been on and the ups and the downs. And, and you know, we made it to where we are and whatever it is, like it was worth it. And then also kind of a statement about the decision we were making leaving Brandeis to go into being professional musicians and, mm-hmm. you know, work our asses off for years and not know if we'll ever, if we'll ever really like make it, but believe that we can. And going on that journey was a journey that we knew was worth it. Both past and present tense. It was yeah. worth it. It will be worth it. And it's still yeah. worth it. Yeah. And it's definitely worth it. <laughs> Let's talk about um, your YouTube channel a little bit. You guys do a lot of covers on there. Is there a specific reason yeah. why? We love doing covers. Number one, it really helps with, you know, maintaining our our audience just like keeping people involved it also kind of it teaches us a lot about production in many different ways so when we go in and analyze the song and see like which parts are really important we then like take little parts from other songs and kind of put them into our own music and it's it's almost like a it's like case studying each one individually so that's just another important thing that it adds for us I'd say we're also um, a community people in general, we, and we have a really strong musical community of friends that like are all extraordinarily talented. If you look throughout some of the videos, and actually we have one that's going to come out in, in a few weeks that's amazing, there's always other people who are singing or playing with us. Mm-hmm. And we just, I mean, we in our free time, we're making music with our friends. Like mm-hmm. those videos are just like captures of another piece of our life. And part of the reason of having the YouTube channel, you might have noticed we also had like an introductory Hi, We're Late Night Thoughts video, is to like, you know, people like the music and they look at the different places they can find us to see like, oh, what are they about? What do they get up to? Like, you know, these videos. That's like something that is part of our life, but, you know, both professionally and also just for fun. Mm-hmm. So. Where else have you guys been pretty active on speaking of those different platforms? Have you guys been on TikTok? A lot of bands I know have been on TikTok recently. We, we've, dabbled, we've dabbled in TikTok. It's it's uh, it's not our forte, and we're gonna wait yeah. to 
dig in a little deeper until we feel we're in like a promotional period. Like when we're ready, getting ready to release an EP, then like for the month leading up to that, we'll probably make a stupid amount of TikToks and <laughs> only start enjoying it like in the last week. You know? <laughs> no, it's it's there's there's definite learning curve there, but we're we're very heavy on Instagram and we we really started out on Facebook, but we we got into Instagram and we we're really comfortable there and. We, we love posting YouTube videos now. We, we started doing that more during quarantine. We essentially bought ourselves a mobile recording studio yeah. for, my, for my bedroom because right. when COVID hit, we were like, we're never going to get in the studio again. Oh, my God. How are we going to record our music? So we bought a bunch of shit, and now we can do whatever we want with it. And I think a lot of people don't know this, but you know, Spotify is so popular, Apple Music is so popular, but the number oh, yeah. one music streaming service is youtube yeah i have heard that actually yeah <laughs> it's free and i've heard it really they build a really strong algorithm too for whatever your preferences are so i guess we're just shamelessly plugging youtube music over here <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we'll accept a sponsorship if you're yeah. all right all right we'll throw it out there sponsor them <laughs> late night thoughts at late night thoughts wherever you find them youtube <laughs> and uh the next thing i want to touch upon too is why New York. Why did the both of you decide to move in together and relocate to New York City? Well, we moved in together senior year of, of college because it was about damn time. <laughs> yeah. It's a really easy way to just, like we were saying, like late night thoughts come up. And then it was so convenient to just, for me, like living on the third floor, just go downstairs and be like, hey, like I just thought of this. And what do you think of this? So it makes things easier just to be living together. We moved to New York mainly because uh, my girlfriend had moved here the year before. Mm -hmm. She had graduated the year earlier, and uh, she's she's a software engineer working at Mashable. So she was already living here, and then it, it was it was it's kind of a, a bad place to yeah. be as it's, a musician. It's a really good place to be as a musician. There's publishing companies, and uh, we had meetings with with BMI uh, here and. A lot of like people from the brand S community end up moving to New York. So as soon as we got here, we had a huge fan base like already built in, and we, we did some like preparation. You know, we had some concerts in New York before we While moved we were here, seniors. Mm -hmm. um, so that we could start to build even before we arrived. And then our first show here, we had eighty people come at, at the Delancey, and we were ecstatic. We were very happy. <laughs> so. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, what you've been able to accomplish since moving there. And I noticed you guys had a couple live shows before COVID and everything. So, I mean, yeah. that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, we were playing, like, uh, about a gig a month because we, you know, want to give time for... We want everyone to come to every show. And we would put a lot of work into keeping the, each subsequent show, like, very different and very new from the one before. And we also got to play some So Far Sounds shows. Uh, which was really Super fun cool. so far. Is like a, you know, so far. I'm not familiar with them, no, actually. Oh man, you love. You should uh, you get yourself it. some tickets. It's basically a like structured DIY concerts. Oh, in, cool. That aren't concert venues. So we played a so far show at an art gallery after hours, and like, like an know. abandoned art gallery. Like, oh, that's <laughs> so cool. And, and, and so far sells the tickets to strangers. Okay. And then curate the, the bill as well. So there's always three artists playing, you know, 30-minute sets. And, you like, you don't know who's playing until you show up to the concert. That's really, really cool. I like that. As an artist, we got, like, an entire room of new ears to listen to our music, which was really special. So valuable. And actually, we played one show, and then someone reached out to us because of it. And then a few so far shows later, we actually accompanied this guy in his proposal um, to his now fiance. Oh, that's so cool. Wait, now wife, you're right. Now wife, they got married. Wow, you guys are really making dreams come true. <laughs> it, it, it was such an awesome It was so special. Honestly. But basically, we've just been trying to, we were trying to play a ton because when you play more, more people hear, and some of those people work in the industry and their job is to go to shows and listen to new bands and you know scout essentially and we felt like we were killing it so the show right before the show right, we played a show on march 7th it? march 7th yeah right it was our first new york sold out show and it was awesome yeah <laughs> it was terrific Dang. it might have been a better event but it was awesome 
Oh boy, that's that's such like a bittersweet moment because like you said, that was your first like sold out New York show and then uh, everything hits like but that's but I mean, you guys have been riding I, I assume that momentum like it doesn't obviously it takes a huge hit for artists not performing right now, but I assume you guys have found other ways to kind of keep your momentum yeah. going otherwise. Yeah, we've been we've been writing a lot and working on on the production of, of our next project, and we've also found some virtual gigs that we've been able to play. You know, both in New York and Boston, and also just other parts of the country because of Zoom. This is something I'm just thinking of now. Where do you feel more like rooted or at home? Because you've been in New York for some time, but obviously you have roots in Boston and a background in Boston. Is it kind of split, or would you say there's one you prefer over the other? I am a Boston boy through and through, but not the city of Boston. I grew up in suburbia. So, you know, I, because I grew up in suburbia, Manhattan is not my default vibe. I'll say that much. I'm actually like really excited where I'm going to move to Brooklyn next year. And we're we're both moving to Brooklyn. It's great. (laughs) It's just going to be more open, a little more spacious. Uh, Mm. That kind of element of New York has felt really stifling to me on a personal level. Not that I'm having a bad time here, but, you know, my relationship to, like, Manhattan itself is is one that is not spectacular. It's not for everybody. And I'm a huge sap, and I love my hometown, like, my home street and the park I went to growing up. So my my roots are definitely deeply rooted um, in Newton, in Newton, Massachusetts. Brian, would you say the same or something different? Yeah, I think, I think like, we, we make homes... In, in so many different yeah. places. You know, I consider, like, where I grew up in Scarsdale as a home. Like, camp. my summer camp was a home. Same. College was a home. And this has become it's another, like, community. Like, everywhere you build a community kind of feels like a home. So I, I feel rooted in all those places still. And I'm sure as we continue living life, you know, four years in college will feel very different from maybe, like, ten years living here. So it's... It's nice to feel like you belong in so many places. I think this is an appropriate time to bring this up because, Brian, I saw you're moving out sooner, like at the end of the summer. You can share for reasons. You can say you don't like Michael anymore. Like, it's all all fair game. But you have have a roommate bucket list, I saw, and I just want to know, like, I got to know what's on the roommate bucket list. Oh, so many great things. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll rattle some of them off. Binge Lord of the Rings, it's extended cuts. Uh, Pillow Fight, 80s cult movie night. Tuck each other in. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Matching tattoos, axe throwing, a blanket fort, uh, time capsule, creating a comic strip, road trip, yoga class, uh, scaling the building. (laughs) Hit all five boroughs in one day. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no. Awesome. (laughs) Trick or treat in full costume off season. What started out as kind of a silly idea became this epic list. Oh, that's not silly. That is serious business, my friend. Yeah. It is is serious business. And we have have another roommate, Spencer. Um, (laughs) And so, yeah. The idea was like, you know, I'm moving in with my girlfriend, um, and I feel like this is probably the last that she's the last roommate I'm going to have, you know, and to be able to be living with friends is something I was so excited for when I was going to college because my sister uh, is four years older than me. So like since high school, I was like kind of an only childish mm-hmm. and it was really nice to be living with my boys and yeah. <laughs> I'm going to miss it. So the dawning of a new era. Yeah. <laughs> But you're going to go out with a bang, clearly. Exactly. Yeah. An appropriate exactly. close to the exactly. chapter. And Michael, something I want to ask you directly is, how do you juggle all these instruments? Because I'm just going to read them off here, or at least what you've played in the past. Um, you've got drums, piano, guitar, ukulele, melodica, bass, banjo, and I think my favorite is definitely the didgeridoo. I'm probably not the first person to say that. But how do you have the mentality to just learn all of that? Like, that's insane to me. It's crazy. I, I don't know. I, I, I have no good answers to this. It makes sense to me. I think a big piece of it comes from I spent my very early childhood in piano lessons, didn't practice at all, didn't learn how to read music, but I did watch my teacher's fingers a lot and kind of develop a, a visual understanding of like theory on the piano. 
and like how close notes are and how they sound together and all that kind of subconsciously. And then in, in sixth grade, I was like, my brother is, is an unbelievable jazz pianist, two years older than me. And I was just like, fuck this. I'm never going to be as good as Josh. <laughs> so I'll play drums. And I pivoted to the, to the drum set and I learned how to do a bunch of different things with both my hands and both my feet all at different times. So being able to multitask with my limbs and have a strong understanding of theory mm-hmm. allowed me to like pick up a guitar and literally teach myself based on the theory I knew and occasional YouTube searches um, for how to do things. And then like finger picking and kind of coming up with those rhythms is just like drumming because you're doing two things with different hands. And I just, I don't know, I love sounds. I like a lot of different sounds. I actually also have this, I play steel drum very poorly. That doesn't make the list. But just, I like the different feelings that you can get from different sounds. And I wanted to play with all of them. And my brother and his friends growing up were always jamming in our basement. And whatever instrument wasn't being played by one of his friends, I'd pick up and just take a shot. So I played bass pretty terribly for the first, you know, few months, <laughs> but always with other people. And that was really great. I love when people say, I don't have an answer for that, or I don't have a good answer for that. That was a good answer, Harlow. Like, come on. <laughs> I haven't spent time on it until just now, but it does. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, it's, we'll, we'll take it. I'll take it. I think that was a good answer from my end. Word. Awesome. <laughs> well, awesome. This has been great, guys. And you guys are sticking around for the review part, which is going to be fun. But to wrap up the interview part, I just want to ask what details you could give about your upcoming project. I guess we can. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we have a we have a five song EP coming up and it's going to have one single and one music video. We can't say specifics, but we just signed <laughs> with an independent label. Yeah, um, and they're going to be supporting us on the release of this. We're going to be releasing our music in a more effective, kind of driven way, mm-hmm. uh, and with like a strong marketing plan that we have no idea how to create. Uh, <laughs> and you know, professionals who are going to help with our media presence and all that kind of stuff. So we feel really excited about getting this music to a lot, many more ears and many more people. And I guess the the biggest thing we can say about the sounds is that. I think we're doing a good job of staying true to our acoustic roots. And we actually have like one song that is kind of really frames just like acoustic guitar and vocals kind of feels like the only thing there. And then expanding into this bigger sound, but not having it feel like disconnected. Um, So I hope that when people hear it, they feel that it sounds like late night thoughts. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to them. Wow, congratulations on that. That's huge. Thank you so Thanks. much. Thanks. It's very exciting. More, right. more details to come. Yeah. More details to come. Yeah. Well, for people to get more details, why don't you just give a shout out of where people can find you on social yeah. media and things like that? So you can follow us at latenightthoughts.music on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and you can go to our website, lntmusic.com. Why don't you grab a shirt while you're there? Yeah, you, you know? can buy our merch. <laughs> We've got shirts. We've got hats. hats. Let's say shit happens on them, which is pretty cute. And sign up for our mailing list so that we can tell you when we're playing shows. Yeah. Good. Awesome, guys. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Brian and Michael, thank you so much. And like I said, we're going to hop into the review after this. So thank you guys again. Awesome. Thanks, David. pleasure. Greta Van Fleet. Greta Van Fleet is this, I guess I would categorize them as like alternative rock, but also like heavy rock. Like they kind of have a lot of different genres in their music specifically. And they just put out their second album, which followed their first album in 2018, Anthem of the Peaceful Army. But this album this time is called The Battle at Garden's Gate. And Brian and Michael, you kind of mentioned that you've been like passively following Greta Van Fleet and this album really caught your ears a little bit more. So what is it about the battle at Garden's Gate that really caught your ears and made you like want to listen to Greta Van Fleet more? They they were introduced to us uh, by our friend Spencer like a few years ago and we had, we I, I had really liked uh, what, what their first album brought um, but what really caught my ear for this one was their first single was called uh, is called Heat Above and 
It is such an epic, epic song. From start to finish, every single melody that they have is terrific in its own way. The, the intro has its own little peak. And then the second half of the song, the, the, the B section of the song is... Yeah. It's, it's, you, you, it makes you want to sing along the first time you listen to the song, which is the mark of any great song. And it, it brought so much feeling that every single person I was seeing that day when I listened to the song, I was like, you have to listen to this. Um, we I listened a- to that song like like more than ten times in like two days. <laughs> That's like, how you know it's good. Yeah. yeah, and we had you know we had different people coming over or seeing them, and like each time, it, like it started to be like I Brian showed it to me after Spencer showed it to him, I think, and then I showed it to my friends, and he showed it to this guy Josh, who also made it his mission to have everyone hear <laughs> it. Like it just it felt so good and. We, we looked up the music video, and we loved watching them. They, they're great performers. And then we started looking into more of the band. We found out they're, like, around our age. These guys younger, are, like, younger. you know. Oh, no way. I didn't know that. 19 to 22, these kids. So, kids. That they they really have have something special going on. Just Insanity. That 19-year-old was 16 when their first album came out. So, so yeah. the 19-year-old, the lead singer, whose name is Joshua Kiz. Zach, whatever he was 16 when they first came out yeah 16 maybe 17 i don't know what his birthday is but you know that is insane and to kind of t- i want to talk about like his voice too specifically because well one when i first listened to this album i kind of felt like his voice sounded like the lead singer from rush if you know that band and i was yeah, yeah. blown away blown away initially it's unbelievable that the high notes that he is able to hit and sustain and like there, there's no pitch wavering. It's it, he really Very hits pure. it on the nose, mm. and with so much power. But you watch him perform live, and it it's it doesn't look like ease, but it looks like you know he's not straining because you, you you see a lot of people now. He's not working too hard. He's just focused. Yeah, and and it's it's really impressive. I I don't know how he does it. <laughs> I I will say about his voice though the you know the kind of criticism that the last that the first album got was that they were just making songs like led zeppelin mm-hmm. and i when i heard heat above and i thought that he sounded kind of like the lead singer of rush i thought it was kind of funny they were like oh everyone thinks we sound like led zeppelin no look we can sound like rush <laughs> <laughs> and in my mind as someone as someone who like you know i i didn't really grow up listening to a lot of hard rock i was more of like an elton john billy joel john mayer kind of like you know singer songwriter range hearing that like comparison i'm like okay they sound like led zeppelin isn't that a good thing like isn't that kind of awesome that we have these young kids who are bringing this style back and and making something amazing with it that's how i feel about it too like i want to go to a live show and experience what our parents experienced when they went to those other shows and they dress the part like if you look at that music video for heat above like they're wearing full body white jumpsuits <laughs> that like show plenty of chest and have like gold bedazzling along the edges. Epic. Oh my god, that's insane. But that's something else too I kind of got from this album is like it reminds us that rock and especially like the classic rock days are still like around. They might not get as much attention, but like these guys like really put that into this album. One thing like that stood out to me. And I'm kind of similar to you, Brian, and I don't know about you, Michael, but, like, I didn't really listen to, like, heavy rock growing up. I wasn't super into it, and I'm still not. But when I listen to rock music, I always pay attention to, like, the instruments themselves and how integral they are to making the sound and making the songs. And, like, almost every one of these songs, like, has a guitar solo or, like, some other element that scream like it screams rock and roll in my like in my ears i always say in my ears yeah that last song weight of dreams mm-hmm. it's like a nine minute song that guitar solo is so epic it is beyond epic and it's it's the timbre the quality of the the guitar that really like sets it apart in that realm it also like it, it like you're saying like it, it is full of this like classic sounds like the organ sound on on organ it's like that is like the rock organ sound and you're it's just very like it's nostalgic even i think like i did grow up listening to a a decent amount of rock but i think it's nostalgic even if 
you didn't because it kind of echoes that like churchy organ kind of thing of that like big expansiveness and openness and like everyone's kind of called to that space yeah it's a coming together experience like you said yeah Yeah. and i love i mean i was actually just made me think about more stuff like the the specifics of how they like make that big sound is both in the instruments but also like the way that they let they kind of play with time signature um Mm -hmm. here and there or if they don't play with time signature they're playing with what, what feels like time signature. So they'll be like moving the end of one measure, but making the next measure shorter to make a chord like ring out for a really long time. Yeah. I'm really you glad know? you brought that up. Like I, it was bothering me. So I used to play an instrument like middle school. So I'm familiar with like, you know, reading music, time changes, tempo, things like that. And I was listening to this album. And I was like, it sounds like they're changing something. But it doesn't sound like the tempo or like, I was like, it was something. So I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. Every now and then they'll throw in like an extra beat or two. <laughs> yeah. And it's not really, it's not so like repetitive structure. It's not like a bar of this, a bar of this, a bar of that. It's just like, you know, we're going to put this here to make this moment a little bigger or to make this riff like set apart from the rest of the song. Mm-hmm. The intro of, um, I think it might be Tears of Rain. I forget the song's names because just listen to them a bunch without looking at it. But I think it's Tears of Rain. The intro is like in 5-4. It's like a, a big chord for three and then two beats. And yeah, like, that, was the, that was the piano ballad one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the one. So it starts with this like bigness and then it kind of settles in to 4-4 four, four in the rest of the song. And I think it, like, it, they use that really well to like make this big space that you're feeling like excited about what's going to fill it. And then they fill it, and it feels like a little more even because they also made the space smaller. Yeah, I'm, I I can't thank you enough. I was it was bothering me. <laughs> I was like, it's something. And as we as we mentioned in the interview portion, like you know music and you play instruments, so you can pick out those kind of innuendos that a lot of people might not be able to. So I'm yeah. really glad you touched upon that. Like, and I think the album itself, like you guys had said, you listened to it a few times without really like. I, I wouldn't know the names of the songs either unless I had them literally right in front of me. Yeah. But I feel like there was a certain push and pull of energy too from the album. Like it starts off like kind of like upbeat and it like more of a middle ground. And then the third song, Broken Bells, it gets yeah. like a little bit darker, a little bit more somber. And then it does pick up again, I think by the song like Caravel, which was also really cool. So did you guys kind of get that kind of feel too? Yeah, definitely. And and I think part of it is, you know, they they wanted to make it biblical, right? And and I think a lot of a lot of those th- themes ring out in the lyrics and you you can hear like the the stories kind of unravel in that like it's a it's a very thematic album. All the way through every single song has its has its own story and it and they they do them justice. They they really know how to add dynamics to, to every song. Yeah, I, I I love the um like the occasional use of acoustic guitar yeah. throughout the album. It just like it gives that like lightness. Like in Heat Above, they use it. In another one, I don't remember which song, but like you know you hear the acoustic guitar and you're like, wow, this is so relaxed. This is so like light, you know, and then it cuts out or it keeps going and it just smacks down with the rest of the band it's epic Mm -hmm. and there was a couple other songs you guys mentioned to me beforehand before we decided to cover the whole album so those ones i have marked were my way soon and age of machine and broken bells too so any comments about any of those specific songs my way soon their use of shaker is very interesting because i i think i mean you could correct me if i'm wrong but in heavy rock you don't really hear a lot of shaker um, and they use it as like a means to like push the song along. Mm-hmm. And we use that so often in our own music. And I was just like, so shocked that, you know, we can be using it in this like acoustic realm and they have it in these heavy rock songs. And I thought that was awesome. I am. Um, <clears throat> I had some thoughts about age machine also that like it, the, some of the songs, the titles to me are a little mysterious. Like, I don't know. You know, I can tell once I like get through all the lyrics, like, some of the time why it's called that. But mm-hmm. 
maybe not all of them, though I quite understand why they're called what they're called. But Age of Machine, and I still don't really get it, but <laughs> the the riff at the beginning and kind of the continuous... It, it chugs along in a real way. It's got that... Just kind of really like... It, there's, there's not a lot of emptiness in it. And it just keeps going and going and going. And it, and it continues through a big portion of the beginning of the song. Um, and I just kind of like that mechanical feel to it. Mm-hmm. I think they definitely filled each song. Like, we kind of mentioned that earlier, too. Like, each song is, like, heavy. Like, it takes a yeah. lot of energy to really, like, sit there and, like, dissect it. Like, there's a lot. But to even, like, counteract that, the thing that, like, stands out to me so incredibly much is like it's only the four of them that were on the personnel for this album like it was the four of them and then their producer greg kirsten who also had worked with like the foo fighters which is insane because foo fighters are like legendary but like that's also i think a really cool representation of rock music because it's just keeping that filter so clean of who's actually making the music it's amazing because these days you know there's so many artists that have writers in the room with them when they're when they're doing whatever whatever style genre we you have it in hip-hop music you have it in pop music you have it in um you know folk music country whatever it is and for them to be able to do this all on their own is so impressive and to have a great producer like that probably really really helps it really does yeah but i i think they they've they're in such a niche right now in that like they're, they're rock stars. They're rock stars, and they're young rock stars. And I heard recently, I think it was uh, Adam Levine from Maroon 5, he was he was saying, he was lamenting the fact that there aren't bands anymore. Yep. I actually wrote a blog post on that. Go check it out. We did? <laughs> yeah. I was so mad about that. I was like, no, there are a lot of bands. Like, yeah. He got a lot of, like, flat, like, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Like, Black, backlash. Yeah. Backlash, yeah, for that. Yeah. And rightfully so, because, you know, he was in a band and kind of drifted off into it really just being about him. So um, <laughs> I, I, I've listened to a band like this and I'm like, yes, bands do exist and they're huge and there are so many of these guys. So, yeah, we're glad that these guys specifically got a lot of recognition. Like the album itself was listed as one of the most anticipated albums of the year um, by like a couple different publications. And it did chart at number seven on the Billboard 200 and number one on both top hard rock albums and top rock albums chart. So I think we can tell Mr. Levine that it's still out there. Like there's still bands out there <laughs> kicking ass and taking names. <laughs> yeah, like just like on that note too, like I think it's so interesting because obviously Maroon 5 is such an iconic band for what they've done in their career, but they've kind of shifted from their beginnings and their roots as like an actual rock band to a more like commercially pop band. So just my thought on that. (laughs) And it's going to be really interesting to watch the way that uh, Greta Van Fleet evolves because, you know, they're being so young and already having their sophomore album out, which is, you know, the, the one where most artists struggle and to have it be even more successful than their first one is incredible so amazing so it's going to be set up. very interesting to see where they go from here what kind of follow-up they do you know they've had the comparisons to led zeppelin they've had the comparisons to rush what's next for them and we don't have to think about that now because i'm sure they're going to be touring this album for a very long time but it, it's something that i'm going to follow what did you guys think of the concept that this album was influenced a lot by greta van fleet's time on the road i mean it is it, it makes sense to me that, that they would come from that, right? I, I think, and we spoke about this during our interview, like we write, like, the best songs come from real experiences. real experiences and come from truth. And like people can see through the bullshit, you know, and can like tell when something's just not quite real. And to have so much like, to have not a ton of life experience as, you know, 16 to 20 year olds writing this or 21 year olds writing this, to be able to tour like that and see the world a lot more um, or, or America, wherever it is they were seeing, like to see a lot more than one town in Michigan where they all are from, it definitely is going to give you a lot to say. So it, you know, it adds up, it adds up to me. 
Yeah, for sure. And like we kind of talked about those themes being a little bit more like dark and cinematic and like just like about religion and stuff like that. And you, those are things, Michael, that you really wouldn't pick up on unless you're out exploring and like getting on the road and seeing things. So I think I think this is another case and I've had this conversation multiple times. I think this is another case where context and concepts go really well, like hand in hand, like you have to understand what's behind the work to really get the full experience. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys again. I really appreciate you doing the review segment too with the battle at Gardens Gate with Greta Van Fleet. Just to like to tie this all together, do you guys think you have like a favorite track off the album or just something that they did extremely well that you would kind of like, I guess, like your elevator pitch for this album, telling other people to listen to it? Because you did that with some of the songs. I would say Star With Heat Above. Um, if, if, if you're going to go for a second one right after that, and you like a good piano ballad, Tears of Rain is awesome. And if you like a sick guitar solo, Weight of Dreams. Um, I think if you get to those three first, you'll you'll be wrapped in. Mm -hmm. But I also think that as a band, like we know that track lists are made specifically in certain ways so that when you listen to them straight, it tells a story and it gives you the ebbs and flows that they wanted. So listen to it all the way through you're going to be shocked at some points you're you're going to be dancing you're going to be crying it's it's just epic so go listen to it uh it's it's everywhere you want to stream it yeah what about you harlow any final comments it, it epic is the best word i could use yeah. to describe it i know i've said that a few times in this talk but it's just <laughs> on such a magnitude that nothing else is these days yeah there there is no band right now like Greta Van Fleet and I, I feel pretty good saying that. I, maybe there is that I don't know about. But like, <laughs> not that's performing as well. Not that's putting out the material at the same caliber as these guys. So if you like rock at all, like, give it a go. Yeah. Because these guys are new and happening. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you, guys. That was a really good plug. And that's the rotated review. Want to join me for the next review? Send in your suggestions to the on podcast at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on Twitter at the on rotation or Instagram at on rotation podcast. Make sure you hit that follow button while you're at it. To read this review fully, see my blog, or listen to past episodes, log on to onrotationpodcast.wordpress.com. it's time to take a look at what popped this week in news. On Tuesday, a Los Angeles Superior Court judge granted Britney Spears a chance to speak on the status of her conservatorship that has been under the court for the past 13 years. Spears has stated that she no longer wants her father, Jamie, to serve as her conservator. The hearing is scheduled for June 23rd. Spotify shares took a near 10% decrease as the streaming giant came down from their subscription high that they experienced at the start of the coronavirus pandemic. This comes after the platform surpassed 158 million paying subscribers on Wednesday. Spotify expects to reach between 162 and 168 million paid subscribers in their second quarter. And Billie Eilish announced the release of her sophomore album, Happier Than Ever, on her Instagram story this past Monday. Eilish said that this album was her favorite thing she's ever created and has never felt so much love for a project before. Happier Than Ever will be out on July 30th. That's going to do it for this episode. Feel free to tune in next time when we rotate through a whole new slew of topics. In the meantime, keep it real, y'all. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.